Welcome to the Educational Leadership Series, Lead Change in Education, where your co-hosts, Adam Drummond and Mark McAmoyle, talk with educational leaders across the country in ways that they're boosting student academic achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Each episode is especially designed to examine the ways that you can be instructional change agents in your schools as you work to reform culture, instructional planning, learner engagement, and community advocacy in your schools or in your districts. Take the ideas from our guests and work to apply them in your schools so that you can be instructional change agents too. Welcome back to another exciting podcast where we talk with school leaders who are changing education. We're joined today by Dr. Brian Parton. Dr. Parton is the principal of Robinson Middle School in Kingsport City Schools in Tennessee. So we are excited to have Dr. Parton join us today. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Adam? I'm doing fantastic here. Uh, it's a, a nice day finally outside. So that's always exciting where we can actually get outside and enjoy the weather. So um, Mark and I are thrilled to have you here and, and talking about the work that you're doing in Robinson Middle School. Super. Hello, Mark. Hello, Dr. Barton. Dr. Barton, I've had a chance to visit with you a little bit, but for our listeners out there, can you just tell us a little bit about your background um, and your school currently, please? Sure. Um, I am in my 16th year as a school administrator. Um, I have served at both the elementary and middle levels. Um, currently, I'm serving as the principal at Robinson Middle School. Um, in Kingsport, Tennessee, as Adam mentioned. Uh, we have around 975 students, grades 6 through 8, and um, we are um, currently a, just finished our state testing, so we're, we're excited to be hmm. getting that that past this at this point. Um in addition to our 975 students, we have just a little over 100 um, faculty and staff members. Great. Okay, great. Thank you. So, Brian, talk with us uh, a little bit about the instructional planning processes that you use in your school in terms of, you know, how do you help ensure that you're making the right instructional decisions. You talked about state testing. So obviously when you look at the standards and the assessment pieces, that's a, a critical component of what um, schools do today. You know, whether we, we like the assessments or we don't like the assessment pieces, it is a, a fundamental part of our public education system. And so I'd be interested just to learn a little bit about, um, you know, what that looks like for you at Robinson Middle School. Yeah, you know, so the, Landscape in Tennessee education has been interesting over the past few years, especially with our state assessments. Um, we've, I'm sure you've probably heard. Um, if not, you know, we've had um, some issues with our testing platform, so that's always been a little bit tricky. Um, in addition to that, we've had several standard um, changes, um, as have most of the country. And so um, just trying to make sure that... Um, teachers are informed, that they're properly trained on the standards, um, that they're able to dig a little bit deeper and and what the standard is, um, you know, what's expected for them to teach um, in, in the standards, and then also how the standards are going to be assessed. So the state has been great at offering some trainings, and so just making sure that we provide the time for our teachers to get to those trainings, and then that there's re-delivery time as well. And then working very closely with our district staff, 
coordinators. We also have instructional design specialists, which go in the classrooms and are part of collaborative meeting times along with myself. And so our schedule becomes very important. Also having that time built in um, so teachers um, can actually work on the work. So when you talk about that collaborative time, you know, how, how do teachers know that they're on the right track and in terms of are students really learning what's expected in their particular grade level or the content area? Well, that's one of the key areas we've been focusing on this year is just trying to create some common formative assessments that um, that we're using to analyze and um you know, some of those assessments we've shared with the state representatives, uh, um, uh, curriculum coordinators at the state level within our region as well, just to kind of get an idea of making sure that we are on the right track. Are we assessing it at the level that would be expected? We, Tennessee doesn't release their state items. And so it is kind of a, a bit of a mystery. We're, we're waiting to try and um, with this new assessment to get our, when we get our results back, we have our data from our formative assessments that we've been given throughout the year, our benchmarks. And so we're going to correlate that data to see how closely aligned they were, and then we'll make some adjustments along the way. Dr. Parton, you know, I, I understand that you served as the president of the National Elementary Principals Association in 1718. Is that correct? That's correct. So yes. you got a chance to like visit a lot of different parts of the country and see different systems. Back to what Adam said, you know, when you start to encourage and invite staff to start digging into data, um, what, what were your indicators that your staff was ready for that? Um, what were some, what were some challenges to that? What were some easy on ramps for staff to get involved in those conversations? Can you reflect on that a little bit in your journey, please? Well, for us um, at Robinson, the teachers are eager to get student or current student information. The state information is great, but it is of their past year students. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, being able to correlate that information it is, again, critical for us. But um, again, having the time and, and then having a good knowledge of where the students are in order to move them forward. Um, has been important for our teachers. And again, there's some different motivation factors there as well. Um, as I've kind of learned across um, the country, as I've traveled some, you know, every state is different in how they expect. Um, Tennessee has been using teacher effect data for, uh, effect data for quite some time. And um, in our district currently, um, it's, connected to their pay. So the motivation is a little bit higher in making sure that that the students are performing at the level that they need to, not only because it's just that innate desire as a teacher to move all of your students, but also it impacts their, their overall um, income as well. So that um, is something that actually is more of a stressor than, than a motivator. Um, mm -hmm. And across the district, too, um, I think for most people was just making sure that the assessments are aligned with what they're what they're teaching has been important and being informed um, about those expectations has also been kind of a, fr a frustration because the target seems to be moving a lot 
and mm-hmm. a variety of places. And we've experienced that here as well. So um, it's just trying to stay the course and make sure that we are um, teaching to those expectations. Yeah, I so appreciate that you have implemented a, a process really to check in on, you know, those student outcomes, um, you know, and working with schools and districts, you know, we often talk and refer to our state assessment data as autopsy data, right? It's, it's after right. the fact, sometimes we don't even get those results until the next school year, even um, depending on the time in which those tests occurred. And so being able to align um, those measures along the way are so critically important for teachers. And I think from a, a school leader perspective, how do you organize that for teachers? Like, how does that, how, how do you take this idea of common formative assessments and create a structure that is successful for not only students, but also for teachers for implementation? Right. Well, there are a couple things that certainly you need to consider. And um, we're, fortunate to be able to have the means to be able to um, get a platform that we can use that will quickly turn around the um, data for the teachers uh, in order to analyze by standard um, and by student. And then also making sure that you have time embedded within your daily schedule uh, and weekly schedule for the teachers to actually get together to do that. Um, work and analysis. And so we have it built into our schedule. Our teachers have two different planning periods per day, two, two different 45-minute planning periods per day. Um, and then so we have weekly meetings um, with each content area with our instructional design specialist and myself. Um, we have two different days that are full of meetings with the different content areas where we're working on this work. In addition to that, we give our teachers month um, quarterly uh, release time to um, work with the other our other sister middle school um, across town. Teachers of similar content and grade levels are released on those days to get together and develop those common assessments and um, look at the standards, make sure they're pacing and curriculum maps are designed. And so, again, just being intentional about giving them that time and the resources they need to make a quality assessment um, so, and so that it's consistent uh, across the board, which also helps us in analyzing um, and looking at trends. Dr. Farron, I got a follow-up question. I hear time. You've said that a number of times, the importance of embedding time and a tool. Um, you didn't touch much on that platform, but assuming that's like a data clear clearinghouse of some sort that's user-friendly for, for teachers. Yeah, and, you know, we've, ex- we've utilized um, different platforms through, throughout the years, actually, and that sometimes has also, it's been a blessing and a curse, mm-hmm. um, just trying to find a platform that um, is consistent um, and is user-friendly has has been frustrating. There are some free ones out there that we've used. Currently, we're using um, Unify um, within our district, but we're having to, you know, you have to, we have a data bank that we're pulling from for some questions, but we're also creating a lot of, of those um, questions as well and putting it in there. 
the analysis tool has been great because you can pull it up from a school level, from a principal's perspective, individual teacher, um, you can break it down by subgroups. And so having something that's quick and easy to manage has been great. Yeah, I think that I think that's key. I, you know, we've got a whole host of uh, uh, people in ed leadership from 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 newer principals to to veteran. What what advice might you give in terms of people that are on the front end of this journey in terms of looking at data culturally in a building? What are some things we'd want to keep in mind? Well, as you mentioned, and that I've mentioned multiple times, is you have to have dedicated time to to do that. Um, I think any work that can be done on the front end going in to where you're maximizing that time when you're meeting with your teachers is important. You want to make sure that it's timely and that you, the turnaround is quick. Um, if you wait too long, it, it doesn't become relevant anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and you have to be solutions oriented to look beyond just current practices um, and making sure that you have uh, an opportunity to to build in some some time to to talk about what's next and, and what you're doing with those different groups. For us, we look at you know we have our standard cut or score that we're looking for, but we're also looking at those kids that are one question, two questions away. Um, we compare it to previous state data of how they've where they have been testing trend wise, you know, looking at those trends um, and their NCE scores. And so um, again, it's just having a tool where you're taking a lot of the work for teachers Mm -hmm. and you're removing that for them. And we have different folks that are specialists at, at working with Excel and putting in formulas that will allow us to, move that data over quickly for teachers. So it's just a click for them um, and that it's not adding more to their plate um, and that they're finding it useful. And so they can actually dig into the important work of discussing those next steps and, and where students are rather than trying to figure out how to navigate a program. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. So a couple of things that you shared that I think are inferred that I really want to make explicit for our listeners, because I think it's important as we talk about this idea of common formative assessments, you know, before we can even get started with developing those formative assessments, your teachers need to know when they're teaching their content and their standards. Um, and, and they really have a, a map, right? You know, where am I going to be by the end of the year and how do I work backwards? Um, and you know, it's not a script. It's not day one. I'm doing this day two. I'm doing this you know, that's given to them, but it's really a, a design of what is the learning progression over the course of the year? Because you can't design those formative assessments that you've talked about, Brian, if they haven't have a map of where they're going. And so I think that that's a, a precursor, right? You know, before we can even jump into common formative assessments, we have to know what we're teaching and, Go ahead. No, that's correct. I, I think those sometimes, too, we're, as much as we try to be proactive, we often find ourselves being reactive to kind of what's given to us above us, um, whether it's at the district level or state level. And so um, sometimes that's not always possible, which, again, just stresses the importance of making sure that if that happens, and it's you're having to react to some changes that are happening in live, like in 
in the middle of the year that you embed that time for teachers to be able to get in and do the work. And it's, it's important for them. I believe it's important for them to be a part of that process rather than it just given to them, than you just giving it to them because it, it changes their understanding and it's you're building their professional knowledge of what they have to teach along the way because they're a part of those conversations and you're providing some consistency and understanding across the board. And so it's worth sacrificing some sub funds um, in order to give them that time in the long run rather than just turning everything over to them and say, do it this way because you're missing some key learning for them. For sure. And, you know, I think the other piece that I'm so appreciative that you're modeling so well for our listeners is really your, your pedagogy around instruction. And I think as school leaders today, we have to be equipped with understanding the learning process. And so if we don't have that as school leaders, you know, reaching out to get those resources, whether it's within our district, whether it's our state association or even our national association, connecting on Twitter, social media, you know, finding those outlets to really delve deep into what does learning look like? What does assessments look like? Because, you know, the only reason common common formative assessments are even helpful is the analysis that comes afterwards. And then how does that impact your instructional planning? Right. And And so can you go ahead? Yeah. Well, and I think too, again, kind of alluding to what Mark had asked about traveling across the the country and seeing different models and schools and, and, and talking with different principals through that network is, you know, our design, we're the structures that we have in place are so different. Our staffing is very different. Our administrative supports look very different. Sometimes it's a very, we're working um, in isolation as a principal and trying to, to be the instructional design specialist or the coach and the, and the school leader and the manager and the nurse and everything else. So it really, um, it really stretches us so thin and what we're able to do, but there's certain things that you kind of, you really have to prioritize and um, making sure that, that you are building your teacher's understanding and, and giving them that opportunity is certainly one of them. Hopefully you can be a part of it if your structures are designed that way and, and your resources are there. But if not, then what you're doing in order to prepare them to be, to take the lead on that, um, becomes critical. Absolutely. You know, know, Brian, something I heard you say earlier is your participation in those structures. And I I think so often that's something that's missed in schools where um, administration certainly works hard at creating a system and setting the table for teachers. But it sounds like you uh, meet with your teams and you go over the data with the teachers, which from a credibility standpoint, relational, that's got to motivate teachers. And, and, and you presenting yourself as a co-learner with them, that's got to be a powerful experience for your staff. Right. I, and I'm fortunate, we're, we're fortunate in our district that we have resources to also support us in that endeavor. I have two assistants. I also have two um curriculum, well, three curriculum um, design specialists and, uh, well, two curriculum design specialists and three um, curriculum coordinators at the district level that are also available um, to support and push in when needed. As a result of those multiple layers of support, 
I am able to design my schedule to be focusing the majority of my time during the week on those collaboratives, teacher observations. Um, so by design, that's where I spend the majority of my time. The assistants um, are supporting in other areas in order to allow me to have that time. But again, it's, it's by intentional design on my part um, in working with um, my supervisor as well to make sure that we're structured that way in order to provide those supports for the teachers, especially as we're going through all of the standard transitions and changes that we have been at the state level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, I so appreciate you giving us a few moments here um, of your time to really delve into this topic around um, how do we use common formative assessments to really impact um, the instruction that's happening every day. And for our listeners, if you want to know more about common formative assessments and spend time in a professional conversation with Brian, you can follow him on Twitter at BK underscore Parton. And he would certainly be happy to talk more with you. You definitely want to follow him. Um, very active and and does a lot of sharing of information across his Twitter feed. So definitely um, stay connected with Brian. And Brian, it was such a a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you all for having me. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to get connected with you and and talk more and, and learn from you all as well. Great. Thanks, Brian. You have a great, great finish to the school year. Thank you as well. Thanks for joining another exciting episode of Lead Change in Education, where we talk with educational leaders just like you and how they're boosting student achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Tune in to our weekly podcast by joining and subscribing to the podcast platform that works best for you. You can also follow Adam at Adam D. Drummond or Mark at MWHS Principal on Twitter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and you can use the hashtag LeadChangeEd to stay up to date on all of the exciting things that are happening in education related to our podcast as well as the work that we do each and every day. Until next time, be the change you wish to lead in your schools.